things are pretty good. I have a good job. I have great friends. I have an awesome girlfriend. Everything's great. I take after my family. It's just the way I was raised. I don't really have enough time to volunteer. Work is just too crazy right now. But I'm, I'm pretty successful. I may have a few bad habits, but I'm still in control. I don't drink near as much as my father does. My relationship isn't perfect, but whose is? Come on, I'm not stuck in all this. I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck in this. I'm stuck. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and the reality is I'm stuck. And I think I'm in good company because I don't know very many people that if they were to look at the wide scope of their life would be able to look at every single area and not at least have to make some kind of an admission and say, well, maybe in that particular area I'm a little stuck. Well, we're going to talk about an area that's very near and dear to my heart tonight, and some of you are going to think automatically by the topic that you get to disqualify yourself from listening, but in reality, this applies to each and every single one of us, and I'll explain that why in just a few moments. I've been married to the same beautiful woman for more than 26 plus years, and as in every single marriage, Laurel and I have had our ups and our downs, our highs and our lows. There have been moments when we've lived in unbelievable freedom and other moments when we've looked at each other and just said, we're stuck. Just the idea of marriage is somewhat amazing to me. The fact that this would be God's plan, that God would put two defective, naturally selfish, actively sinning, opposite gendered people underneath of one roof and expect it to work. Like that's just somewhat amazing to me. That's a recipe for disaster in my humble opinion, unless of course you involve a perfect God who fully understands both of those people and relationships and calls them, both of them, not just into a promise between human beings, but into a covenant to die to their selfishness and to pursue holiness even more than happiness. Now that radical idea, that's crazy, but that actually seems to have a shot. I was at Starbucks last week and I got to see both ends of the spectrum. There was an older couple who were at Starbucks celebrating 60 years of being married to each other, okay? Do not mock the fact that they were at Starbucks if you can make it 60 years, you deserve to pick any venue that you want to. And they brought their own little cake, and they had their own little mochas, and they were celebrating 60 years together, and, and they were flipping through their wedding album, which I thought was the cutest thing that I've ever seen, and I couldn't resist myself because I'm somewhat innately curious, and so I just walked over and said, hi, what's your secret? What's your secret? She said this. She goes, never consider divorce. Murder is fine divorce. <laughs> Never. Now, what made me laugh about that is I've actually heard other older couples say that. It's like they learned it from someone, and it's always the girl, which freaks me out just a little bit. I looked at him. I said, what's your secret? He said, never forget she could have picked somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thomas and Claudia, God bless your hearts. I invited you. I hope you came or I hope you come tomorrow because I think that would be awesome to have you here in our house. And I walked away from that beautiful encounter 
only to be faced with the other end of the spectrum. I didn't even make it out of the door. And the guy that walked out past me said to the lady that was sitting in the chair right there, marrying you is the worst mistake that I have ever made. She threw her cup at him. Now, it was empty in paper, but still. I'm like, wow. I felt like saying, you need to go see Thomas and Claudia over there in the corner. You need to shut your mouth, sit down, and just listen, because those two have a few things they could share with you. Both extremes. Today, I want to talk about getting stuck in a relational rut, specifically in the context of marriage. Now, I know for a fact not everybody here is married, but I would just hope that as a a family of faith centered on Jesus, that whether we were married or not, that we would all be for the success of other people's marriages. I would like to think that. I would love to think that if we acknowledge the fact that we are all followers of Christ, that that means you're actually a part of the bride of Christ, and so actually all of this does apply to you and can absolutely impact your relationship between you and the bridegroom, Jesus himself. So I'll come back to that at the end, but I hope that that we would be the kind of church where we can talk about marriage stuff with everybody else in the room, singles and dating and all that other kind of stuff too. So I've been talking to married people all week long, and I came up with a little bit of a list because we've been talking about being stuck. And I came up with some common marriage ruts and what God has to say about them. The first one's the position rut. This one's going to get me in a lot of trouble. Because as soon as I say the position rut, some of the guys in the room start thinking about their position. They think in their head, I'm the boss. I dare you to say that out loud. Just go ahead and say it. See how well your lung does with her elbow going right through your side. You know? When I say position, people immediately start thinking hierarchy or pecking order or an org chart that has one big box at the top of it with the word me inside of it, right? If you grew up in church, as soon as I start talking about position and marriage, you start thinking about the S word, okay? Not that S word, the other S word, all right? The Christian S word, which is submit. Now, let me share a commonly misused passage that creates a rut with wrong understanding. Here's a mistake that people make. In my humble opinion, the commentators and the translators put the paragraph break in the wrong spot because everybody starts reading in verse 22. They hear the words, wives submit, and everybody freaks out. Listen to the whole thing starting in verse 21, and I'll give you a really quick little Greek lesson, okay? Greek words are often spoken in some verses and then inferred later on because it makes sense inside of an English-speaking brain. I'm going to read a word that's in verse 1. It's actually not in the Greek in verse 22. It's inferred to be there. If you want to talk to me more about it later, you can talk to me, okay? The Bible says this, verse 21, submit to one another... Out of reverence for Christ. That's a good verse. You should underline that. I need to underline that and tattoo that on the inside of my wedding ring. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Literally, wives, so let me read it to you in the literal way. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, as unto your husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and then underline this, and gave himself up for her. You know where this all starts? It starts with mutual submission 
to Jesus. And then there is all this talk about headship, but here's the deal. Let me tell you, the way you live out your headship is by dying. Ah, I got an amen from one guy. Thank you, my brother. It's by dying. You die to your selfishness. You die to your need to control. You die to having to be the man. Can I tell you something, gentlemen? If you're a follower of Christ, there's only one man in your relationship, and you're not him. Ah, now I'm getting some amen. Saturday's starting to wake up just a little bit. In your relationship, if you're a follower of Christ, Jesus is the man and you are not. Can I get an amen? That's how it works. He displayed his full authority in the most interesting way. Here's a little wisdom for those who like to use the word submission as a weapon. Here's some wisdom. When we use our position to exert power and control, we completely miss the heart of Jesus. Let me prove it to you. Jesus is the most powerful force anywhere, in any universe, in any galaxy, in any place. Jesus is at the pinnacle of force, and he humbles himself, dies to the perfect will of his Father. He comes, and in a moment when he could put his full kingly authority on display in front of his closest group of friends, this is what happens. Think about it. This is the moment when Jesus could have flexed his power and showed all of us. You want to see how a boss works? You want to see how an org chart works? You want to find out who's going to submit to who? That, this is what he could have done, and the Bible says this is what happens. Having loved his own, in fact, let me just give you some context. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some of your translations say, and he showed them the full extent of his love. Everything that was loving in him. And this is what happens. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. It's there. That he'd come from God, was returning to God. So he stood up and lectured his children as to who was boss. Is that what your Bible says? Got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Royalties on his knees. Power picked up a dishpan. Position scrubbing between his toes. Here's another little piece for all of us wisdom. Jesus uses the full power of his authority to serve his bride, and we should do the same. Which means this, can I model for the men in the room the position, the most powerful position I can take as a husband? This is power. Because when I'm fully submitted to Christ, guess what? Laurel doesn't have any problem tucking herself right in beside me. She's a strong woman. Never higher than his feet. My brothers, do we understand? Never higher than his feet. Okay, let's keep going. I thought this was going to be really light tonight. Apparently not. Okay, so. 
You use your mutual submission to each other to follow the example of Christ. And in serving each other that way, you know what you do? You serve yourself right out of the rut that you're in. Can I remind you again what a rut is? It's a grave with the ends kicked out. You don't want to be there. Let's keep going. Secondly, I talked to these couples about the apathy rut. Some of you are just in the rut of not caring. You just don't care anymore. You stop caring about your marriage, stop caring about your spouse. You know, there is, honestly, a moment, a season in our marriage when I just took Laurel for granted. I just assumed she was always going to be there. I defaulted on making decisions together. I was out saving the world, and surely I just kind of thought, you can just do your part. You know what I found out? That's a deal God won't make. You don't get to just go and do whatever you want to and trust God to look after your family. You are in charge of being there. I'm still talking to guys a lot. I know. It's gonna, don't worry. We'll balance it out here in a little bit, okay? I was out there saving the world, but that's a deal that God won't make. God called me to be a husband and a father before I was ever a pastor. And just for the record, Jesus can save the world just fine on his own. He handles it very, very well. But we get stuck in the hole of believing that somehow that our marriage is fine. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to, to be contributing towards it anytime. Can I tell you something I've learned the hard way? You are either contributing towards the health of your marriage or destroying it. Either one, 100% of the time, you never get to find this nice little sweet spot in the middle where you, everything is just cool. You're either killing it or creating it 100% of the time. And here's the deal. If some of you are just like, I don't have that problem, everything's fine, we got to do it. I think our marriage is just going great. I got a question. Have you asked your spouse lately? Why not? You afraid? Are you afraid of the answer that you might get? The Bible says this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You know what? I've learned something. It's really hard to be apathetic about my marriage in the name of Jesus. I find it impossible to be lazy in the name of Jesus. I find it difficult to not give a rip in the name of Jesus. And this verse says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. I'm out speaking to married couples and I keep hearing the cry, especially of the wives to their husbands to become the spiritual leader of their home. So guys, I'm going to share something with you that completely transformed my world. Here's a little bit of wisdom. Spiritual leadership is as simple as initiating with the word let's. L-E-T apostrophe S. Hey, Laurel, let's pray together about that. Hey, let's go to church together. Hey, let's go for a walk, just the two of us, and actually talk about us and some of our dreams and where we want to go and where we want to end up and what we think God's saying to both of us. Hey, let's go and do that together. Hey, 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 l- l- let's spend some time just talking about our relationship. That's leadership. It's servanthood. It's initiation. It's love. It's just asking the question. Now, that's impossible if, you're, if there is no communication, which is coincidentally the next rut. It's the communication rut. A guy and his wife are fighting to the point where they are not talking. If you're married, don't pretend you've never been there, okay? It's kind of that moment when the icy cold just kind of sets in on the conversation, and I'm just like, I'm not talking first. You can talk first. I'm not talking. We're, not, we're done talking. And that's the way it is. So a guy and his wife are fighting to the point they're not talking. And their house is quiet. It's unbelievably quiet. 
He doesn't want to be the first one to break the silence, so he writes a note and puts it on her pillow. The pillow says, I have to catch a 6 a.m. flight. Could you please make sure to wake me up? Sticks it on her pillow. He goes to bed, wakes up the next morning at 8 a.m., two hours after his flight. He freaks out. He yells at his wife, why didn't you wake me up? I missed my flight. She smiles and points to his pillow where there's a tiny little note attached that says, sweetie, wake up. It's 5 a.m. and you have a flight to catch. You know, we like to laugh at it. But can we admit that sometimes we save the most horrible things? We save the most horrible things for the people we love the most. And we, see, we say terrible things to each other. I'm amazed at some of the things that have come out of my mouth towards my wife. And you know what my excuse was? Well, she's just my wife. That came from the pit of hell. We often make our most loved partner our most convenient target. And I'll tell you what, this verse hammers me. When I get stuck in a stream of harsh and irresponsible words, Matthew 12 says this, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Ouch. For by words you will be acquitted, by your words you will be condemned. That just makes me want to stop. That makes me want to think. I mean, it's kind of like, so if I call her a fool, does that mean someday Jesus is going to convict me of being a fool too because of what came out of my mouth? Yeah, something like that. Here's another one. You've heard it before. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up one another according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. It doesn't say anything about blessing the talker. It talks about the one who's actually receiving it. The Bible says that if it doesn't benefit the listener, you missed it. And some of you are like, oh yeah, Grandpa, you said, but you, know, you should have heard what she said. Really? Two words for you. Grow up. Can I get an amen on that one? I mean, it's just like, right, you know, can, I was just reading my Bible this week. Can I just read you some verses that just kind of freaked me out? Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God's in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This one killed me. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue will crush a spirit. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. How about this little zinger? Love's not rude. He who loves a quarrel loves sin. That one like just got me, right? He who loves a quarrel loves sin. Do everything without complaining or arguing. That's verbal and typing, by the way. <laughs> Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant 
must not quarrel. Let me say that again. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, they must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Thus says the holy word of God to God's children. It all kind of points to the same wisdom, right? Every word that we say can either bind somebody or free them. And God wants us to use our words for freedom. Let's add another one. This is where we're going to go PG-13. If you brought your kids into the service tonight, I want you to say this again. We have wonderful environments for your children, and you should put them there so that you don't have to answer awkward questions at the end of Grant's sermon. So anyway, the next rut is the sexual rut. I did my own survey. I asked 30 couples from this church a very intimate and difficult question. More than 60% of them responded and said, we are married, but we are not having sex. We're not intimate. Statistics say 25 to 40% of married couples are not intimate. That's a rut. Now, so that everybody takes a deep breath, I was buying some stuff at a drugstore this past week, and there was a lady standing in front of me who was old enough to be my grandmother. She was in her very, very late 70s. And she was buying some stuff. <laughs> she was buying a little romance package. And I couldn't help but stare because I'm like, this does not go together in my brain. And she saw me staring at her because she had chocolates, she had massage oil, she had stuff and things. And, and she caught me staring at her. Okay, for the record, all I had was Unisom because I'm trying to, get, trying to get over jet lag, okay? And she looked at me and she goes, yes, it's exactly what you're thinking. Because you have to keep it hot. They're not worthy, right? I'm doing a whole series on that this fall. I hope you're ready for it. You dared me to preach the Song of Solomon. Here it comes. I can't get into that right now, but here's what the Bible says, and this is what she got. Oh, and yes, by the way, she was wearing a beautiful, beat-up old wedding ring. I was proud of her. The Bible says the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. The guys are like, yeah. Gentlemen, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Mutual. Do not deprive each other. <laughs> I thought at least one person was going to say amen there, right? <laughs> Do not deprive each other. Except perhaps by mutual consent, so you're in agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Some of you are like, that's in your Bible? I'm like, read it, 1 Corinthians 7. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Can I tell you something? If you're married, sex is 10% of your marriage. It'll cause you 90% of your issues. And the problem is the enemy wants you to believe it's okay for a husband to be in one room surfing porn and a wife in another room reading a romance novel. The enemy wants you to think that's okay. For the love of God, that's not okay. 
It's not okay. You know what you're doing? You are allowing the enemy who wants to shred your marriage. You are cutting a foothold for him, for him to hang on. You need to use love and intimacy to make a sheer rock face that he can't get his little hook talons into. Here's what your pastor's saying in the nicest way possible. If you're not getting busy, get busy. Sign your letters. I got the Bible on my side in this one, all right? One more piece of wisdom. Just so you don't get all hated, you you know, you heard what the pastor said, right? You know, just so you don't get there, I want to requote the scripture to you. You don't belong to you. You don't belong to you. And by you, I mean both of you, because the last time I checked, when two become one, they're one. And the Bible says that when God takes two of you and puts you together, you're one. So you belong to the God who gifted intimacy to you as both a safeguard and something to be celebrated within your relationship. Moving on. Last one I call the comparison rut. Oh, we got a couple of more. Oh, I got to go fast. This is the comparison rut. This one happens when your spouse does something wrong and you start comparing them, not to another human being, but to a compilation of other people. Ladies, can I say something to you? Your spouse cannot compete with Brad Pitt's good looks, Tom Hanks' quick wit, Warren Buffett's money, Channing Tatum's abs, and Keith Urban's hair. Can't happen, okay? All the ladies are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Gentlemen, your wife cannot compare with Angelina Jolie's smolder, whatever that is, Melissa McCarthy's humor, Scarlett Johansson's pout, and Oprah Winfrey's empire. But we do that, don't we? We take a compilation of the best of everything else that we see and we measure our spouse against them and we wonder why they always come up short. Can I tell you something? Your spouse is actually better than that, better than that compilation because love creates its own standard. So I'm just going to tell you something. If your spouse is tall, in the name of Jesus, you're into tall. If your spouse is small, you're into small. If your spouse is bald, you're into bald. Some of you are thinking, it didn't used to be. I'm like, your standard just changed, okay? It just changed. You're good. Comparison's a killer. And you're like, Grant, is this stuff really in Scripture? Exodus chapter 20. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, whether they're a neighbor on television or a neighbor that actually lives next door to you, nor their neighbor's wife, we'll put slash husband or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Keep your eye on your own gift. And if you've forgotten that your spouse is a gift, you have another conversation to have. The Bible says this, you know, we're so good at comparing our spouses and having them come up short. I read my Bible this week, 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're still in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? I want to know this. What do you think would have happened to any of us if Jesus compared us to his perfect standard? What would we have received? 
So God says, my standard applies to you and your standard of grace, according to Jesus, that also applies. I learned a long time ago. Sometimes I forget. My wife is God's gift to me, and when I see her that way, as the gift that she is, it's amazing how it changes me. Here's some wisdom. Compared to God's standard, we all fall short. Our spouse can't compete with that compilation, so why in the world would we use that to compare? Last one, I'm going to touch on it briefly and very, very carefully. Some of us in the room have an unspoken right. You know, maybe you're stuck in a pattern. And because I know the statistics, I know that this church is not immune. So let me say this as kindly and gently and tenderly as I can as a protective shepherd who loves all of you. I don't tell you guys that nearly enough. Boy, I love you. But I will say this to you. If you're stuck in an unspoken rut and somewhere along the line, emotional became verbal or verbal became emotional and that spilled over into physical somewhere along the line something happened between you and your spouse and now it's that little secret I need you to know this God knows that should actually make you feel better not worse Bible says nothing's hidden that will not be disclosed nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open and I just want you to hear this If you're stuck in that horrible place, tell somebody. Let Jesus help. Let the family of God help because this is what you need to know. Here's a little wisdom for you. You are worthy of safety, care, and respect because you are a son or daughter of the Most High God. And we should be able to work through that hard stuff. You know, there's help. I'm always amazed when people reach out for help. Because I think, who in the world am I? Here's the cool thing. When you help in Jesus' name, you don't actually do much of the helping. Jesus does. So I've got to wrap up really quick. I said that every one of us is a follower of Christ, is a part of the bride of Christ. So that means everything God says to married people actually has an implication for you as a follower of Jesus, whether you're married or not, whether you want to get married or not, whether you ever will get married or not. It doesn't matter. And I would like to remind my single friends of something. Jesus was single. Paul was single go through scripture all over the place. They're single people. They're comfortable with that. Can I tell you something? Sometimes being single and only having to worry about a relationship with Jesus, that actually, that, yeah, that could be okay. So because we're all in the bride of Christ together, I'll just ask you, If Jesus is the most important person in your life, are you still stuck in a positional rut trying to get up to the top of the throne and tell Jesus to mind his own business because you want to run your own show? Or are you serving him in the same humble way that he wants to serve you? You're serving him from a lowly place, actually considering, considering others greater than yourself? Are you stuck in an apathetic rut with Jesus? You just really don't care about the relationship anymore and 
And honestly, the way you're living is a great indicator of the fact that, honestly, you just don't care. Are you neglecting your Savior? Are you in a communication rut? I mean, is the only time your king ever hears for you when you're in crisis and just need something really, really bad? When was the last time you just listened to him? Just listen. Open your Bible and just listen. When was the... Well, I asked this question. I wasn't sure I was going to, but are you in a sexual rut? Because you've decided you can create your own set of standards as opposed to the ones that he created for your protection, for your wholeness? Are you in a compare and contrast rut? Because you take your life and you compare it to the life and stuff of other people who don't even know Christ yet and somehow you get all, you get all freaked and frustrated because they seem to have so much more than you do in this world. Can I remind you, the gods that have the little g gods that have engines and you can buy with a gold card, they don't last in eternity. I mean, all we have is, all we have is peace and joy. Boy, what a ripoff, huh? <laughs> Are you in an unspoken rut? And maybe the first thing you need to do is listen to what God has to say about who you are to Him. You know, God doesn't want you to be stuck whether you're single or married. He wants you to be holy. So here's some homework for everybody if you've got the guts. If you're married on your way home tonight, it'd be awesome if one of you initiated a conversation that started with the words, hey, let's talk. Are we stuck? Ask the question. If you're single, same challenge. Go for a walk with your Savior tonight and ask a simple question. God, am I stuck? Because if I am, this walk is my first step in the right direction. Some of you are like, it's Super Bowl weekend, I have chicken wings. I'll refer you back to the apathy rut. We put time, energy, and conversation into the things we care about the most. Have your chicken wings, please. I'm going to cook some. But the lack of attention that we give to our marriage is a great indicator to our spouse about what we actually really care about more. May the marriages of Christ the King be a simple reflection of the kind of a relationship Jesus wants to have with His church. And may we be the kind of place where it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. Would you pray with me tonight? God, thank you for this time and an opportunity to be with my family again. I pray over every marriage in this room, God, may it honor you. Lord, I pray for the uncomfortable conversations, and I pray that grace would rule the day. God, I thank you for my single brothers and sisters. I thank you so much for their dedication and love of you. What a beautiful example they are to me, being single-minded. So, Lord, I pray that each of these questions and conversation starters tonight, Lord, I, 
I love the fact that they get to have them with the King of Kings. Thank you for being gracious in your response to us. And may our relationships, families, and this whole family be forever changed because of your word. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.